Looks like the worship team is growing from when I was last here. It's expanding to the left here as we go. (laughs) Good stuff. Father, we just want to thank you for this new day, and we want to thank you, and we can really sing along and heartily say amen to what we were just singing, that we could sing of your love forever. And it's an amazing love. And we think of the other well-known hymn that says, And how can it be that you should love someone like me? And we, it's amazing love. And we just thank you so much, God, for being here today and being with us. And we just pray that you'll open up your word to us, too. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to, we're going to actually be in a few places today, but primarily, as a start, Acts chapter 9. Initially, when I was preparing, I thought, well, this is going to be a shorter message, and as the Lord kept giving me more verses and so forth, I realized, uh uh-oh, got too much maybe here. But a lot of verses, if you don't, uh, you don't have to turn to them all, but we will look at them. really want to talk this morning about the value of your story. And when you receive um, exciting news, just think about any kind of news you've received this week or last week, something that you heard that was good news, what's one of the first things you do? You tell someone. And thinking of that old Don Francisco song, I've got to tell someone. You know, I've got to tell someone. And so you email somebody, you phone them, but you, you tell someone. You want them to share in the good news that you have. Next chapter 9 is a story that's incredibly good news, what the Holy Spirit records and what happened in this man's life. And we, as we read, we will certainly recognize who he is. Verse 1, chapter 9, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, So that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless. And I think if we were there, we would have too. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. 
So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may again regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Wow, isn't that a fascinating, awesome story? It really is. When you think about just what happened as a consequence of that man being saved and becoming Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament for us as the Holy Spirit led. And you know, the interesting thing is, you know anything about this man, Paul, as he was renamed, he gave his time, he gave all of his energy and even his life to wanting to proclaim this gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, in Acts chapter 26, if you're familiar with that, he has this awesome conversation with the king and he's able to tell him really in a before and a how and an after how he had come to Christ. And so he shared his story, not only with that king, but also with many people. And you know, we think about it, three reasons why people like to hear a story And they like to, I would like to suggest here, our story is for three reasons. People who generally know you, they they walk with you, they rub shoulders with you wherever you are in your neighborhood, or if it's at the job or at the workplace or whatever, or at school, they are interested to some extent, at least in your life. And they're kind of interested in what's happening in you, and it has an impact. Oftentimes, as you're sharing your story, of what's going on in your life or what Jesus has done, to some extent, people begin to be able to understand and they can relate to it in some shape or form, especially if you're going to start to share some of the struggles. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And another thing that intrigues people about a story is is they, they may have issues with what's in the scriptures and they may even be an atheist, but one thing they cannot deny, they cannot deny the fact that there's been a change in your life and that whatever has happened in you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ today, they they can't refute it. And one of the things that makes the difference, as we'll see with time, is how you behave and what begins to change in your life. And it confounds some, but they can't dispute it. And I'd like to suggest today, there's and there's probably more, there's at least three important aspects of what's important about our story that people need to be able to understand. And the first is, It's really important about our character, how we are in our character. Basically, when I say that, to keep it really simple, is just who are we on the inside? What are we like or what is our character like when no one else is watching and it's just the Lord? What's our character like? One of the things I love, and you can turn to this if you like or you can listen, 1 Peter chapter 2. When you think about character, this is something that you, you hear and you say, this is what it's all about. There's many examples of this. The heading on in my Bible is Christ is our example. And he certainly is. 
And he is specifically, as Peter addresses it in this context, for you have been called for this purpose. Now you say, okay, well, what's the purpose? You've got to look up a little bit further in his letter. And he says, it's this. I almost want to cough and kind of say it quietly, but it's suffering. Did you hear what I said? Suffering. Not what was it Sylvester that said suffering succotash. Not that. Whatever that really means. But suffering. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you, and here we go, an example for you to follow in his steps. Love it. What are we to do? The one who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What an example the Lord Jesus is in that specific scenario where some of us probably before we really understood him and his message would have said, oh, I wish he would have done something there when he was being reviled and when they were accusing him and when they were attacking him. Hollywood would have written a story, well, he would have come down from the cross and he would just would have obliterated everybody. And yet we know that he couldn't do that. He wouldn't do that because his mission was to die for us. And he didn't lower himself to their level. But he was an example in how he dealt in that situation. First Peter chapter 4, he goes on a little bit further and Peter says this, and it's all in this context of how we should behave. He says, Beloved, verse 12 of chapter 4, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer. Now, here we go. Might relate. Or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Peter here lays out. Here's the example of the Lord Jesus. This is how we are to behave as his children. So think about it this week when somebody pushes your buttons. When it comes to the issue of your character, how are we going to respond? It's going to happen. It's going to happen unless you're going to live by yourself all week. And you might even have an argument with yourself. And so how are you going to respond? But it's going to happen. What are we going to do? How's our character going to respond in that situation? I'm always amazed where Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he makes this an incredible statement. He says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Apostle Paul wasn't being boastful there or proud, anything but that when you read his letters. But he was saying, imitate me. And here's the challenge, brothers and sisters, and whether you are a parent today or whatever situation it is, can we say that to those who are around us this coming week or even today, be imitators of me. As I'm following Christ and you see Jesus in me, follow what I, my example 
or and it comes sometimes it's going to happen and this is a good thing when we're humble and in the sense that we have to apologize for when we blow it which is going to happen and even that's an example that we have the God's given us the humility to say hey I blew it the way I responded in that situation isn't the way I should have responded I was in Yosemite with uh, eight of us and our family and I had to apologize a couple of times living in cor- course close quarters with our family over a period of six days in housekeeping or with little close quarters. That's where you kind of see how everybody's behaving. More on that in a little bit. (laughs) There's some stories to tell, and you're going to hear it. John says in 1 John 2.6, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Really, the litmus test in John is, you know what? If we say we're Christians, then we ought to be behaving like Christians. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. But it means, is there some evidence of the Lord Jesus in our life by the way we're living? Christian character, if you like, and this is a message that's beyond even this, just this subject alone is a 10-part series on the whole aspect of Christian character. But it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And it's been said, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will produce the fruits of the Spirit. Just like an orange tree produces oranges, an apple tree produces apples, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, then you're going to produce His fruits. And there's just a couple that, we don't have time to go through all of them that are listed in Galatians 5, but just a couple that the Holy Spirit led me to share very briefly this morning that are the keys, and they're all good, but just for sake of our time today, the first one is love. And again, I'm on this whole concept of our character. Are we characterized by people who love? And it's interesting, love is the first fruit that he mentions. And since the Holy Spirit is God, and this makes sense actually, doesn't it? If the Holy Spirit is God, and since God is love, then the first effect of the Spirit's presence in our life should be love. It's been said the circumference of your character is measured by the radius of your love. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? It's kind of like, you know, that isn't so hard. If somebody loves you and you love them back, well, good. But the real challenge is to love your enemies. Is to love those who are unlovable, at least to you, because I'm sure to somebody else, you're unlovable. So, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? You think this morning, who is God putting on my heart that I need to, as an act of the will and as an act of obedience, love? May even be somebody here. May even be somebody in your family. I'd be somebody at your job where you do not have the love of Christ. And if the lie detector was on and we were all rigged up, as I've had to go through myself, and it would, what would it, you know, what would that needle be showing if those questions were asked? Would we pass or fail? Remember that uh, wonderful little quote, to live in love with the saints above. Well, that would be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, oh, that's a different story. (laughs) 
who in your world, for God so loved the world, but who's in our world here today that needs to experience our love, the very love of Christ? I know there's names. I've got a long list for myself. And then another wonderful fruit of the Spirit is joy. We sang about it today. It's joy unspeakable, isn't it? And we were singing the chorus, I have found the joy no tongue can tell. This is an amazing thing. And depending on which translation you use, there are approximately 242 references to joy in the scriptures. Aren't you glad that God is a joyful God? I mean, if he was this, if he was just this, and I mean this respectfully, but ogre, sourpuss, dreary, heavy, just a person that you wouldn't be attracted to naturally kind of God, then I'm not sure we might be drawn, but that's not the God of the Bible. He's a God of joy. He's a God who experiences great joy over his children. And it says in Zechariah, I believe it is, or Zephaniah, one of the Z's, that he rejoices over us with singing. You think about it today. You look at your life as a child of God. He is rejoicing over you with singing today. And we, the people of God, if we know him today, of all the people, we should know this fruit if the Holy Spirit's in us. And it's true, isn't it? We're, we're joyful not because we're trying to find joy, like some treasure that's maybe hidden somewhere in the building. Where is joy? I'm trying to find it. But it springs forth from the Holy Spirit. And it springs forth like a fruit on a tree. It's, it's there. And it's been said it's produced not by what is around them, but by what is in them. And if the Holy Spirit is in us, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And that's why there's that awesome verse, and maybe you've used it many, many a time when it comes to wanting to comfort those who are grieving, but it's that awesome little phrase in Psalm 35. I'm sure some of you know it. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And as you're trying to express to someone who's going through some kind of heartache and, and difficulty of a tragic situation from at least a human perspective, you say, yeah, God says you permission to weep, permission to grieve. But whatever the context, you can remember that joy comes in the morning. That that little wonderful phrase, this too shall pass, will. And you just think, you know, that's an awesome verse. Sometimes when you're trying to figure out what are the right words to share with someone who's just experienced some grief, some something really sorrowful. I suggest you can just quote very tenderly Psalm 35. And then there's peace, of course, which is another fruit of the Spirit. And I love this. Someone has said it's the holy calm breathed into a human soul by a forgiving God. Aren't you glad that you know that peace today if you know it? Over and above all of our frustrated efforts over the years of trying to experience peace, there is a peace now that keeps us as opposed to trying to find it. That was elusive, evasive, hard to grab, kind of hard to get hold of like something slippery that just always is wanting to get away from us. Now we've experienced the peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that verse in, that Paul said in Philippians 4, 7, just that last part, the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A steadfast of mind, Isaiah 26, 3, the steadfast of mind now will keep in perfect peace. And he goes on to say, whose mind is stayed on thee. This kind of peace, you know, I'm around people all the time at my job who it seems like, 
and I don't want to make them all sound like they're all this way, but there's so many who the way they find peace is the bottle, is just drink. I was at a function a few weeks back. It's a long story. Another time where I was in a, for a weekend with about 16 or 18 dispatchers for, at a retreat. And I have to be honest, I was shocked that I didn't know 18 people could consume so much alcohol over a weekend. <laughs> oh, you, you could have lifted weights with the garbage bags of just booze, just to where it was just incredibly excessive from Friday to a Sunday. Then there's patience. Isn't that an awesome thing that the heart that has peace with God also should have, because he's changed us, should have a patience with people. Someone has said, and I like this, some people seem to be born losers, but Christians are born again losers. (laughs) In this sense, they have learned how to lose their lives that they might find them. And someone has said, and I like this too, self-seekers never find themselves. Isn't it true? When we were searching and self-seeking and just it was all about me, myself, and I for how we lived, we never found ourselves. But we were found when God found us. And it's an awesome thing. Matthew 16, 25, and 26 talk a lot about that. Some translations in this context of referring to one of this fruit of patience, they also refer to it as long-suffering. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm having to really be long-suffering right now in my life. There's a situation that God has taken me in. He's got me right in it, and he's requiring me to be long-suffering about it. Patient while he carries me through. Someone has said that long-suffering requires no talent. When it comes to what's occurring in our lives, those trials, it attacks us often without warning and takes us captive. We didn't choose it, whatever that situation is, but we're on that road. In our lives at the moment, very fortunate that we have four daughters. I'd love to say all four know Christ, but all four don't. And one of them right now has got us on a road that my wife and I over the last few weeks has said, we didn't want to be on it. And in a sense, I struggled with God for a couple of days about why do I have to be on it with her as far as some of the stuff that is going on that's not good, but we're on that road. Now, I can fight it, I can deny it, and I can uh, resist it, and you can too, but when God puts us on that road, whatever it is, if it's whatever that financial issue is, whatever that heartache is with a loved one, whatever it is, he's put us on it. And then he's going to show himself faithful to carry us and deliver us through it. He's not going to leave us alone. The Holy Spirit within us, he's the enabler. You and I can't possess love and we can't possess joy and peace and patience just by trying harder. It comes from the Holy Spirit within. That's where our resource is. We cannot do this in our own strength. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5 bring out this point about long-suffering and that it's a quality of love. And someone has said when we are slighted, we slight the slight and love the slighter. And that's how we ought to behave. If you're going to be long-suffering today and you want to be an example of Christ in your character and telling your part of the story by how your character is, when you're slighted, we slight the slight and we love the slighter. You think now who it is that's pushed your buttons 
Maybe even this morning before he got here or yesterday or last week or has the potential to do it this week. How are you going to respond? Well, I hope it's with another fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. It's another translation for it, another way it's worded in the New Testament is kindness. And aren't we all looking for that quality trait in someone else? Don't we just love it when we're on the receiving end of somebody who's kind? <laughs> husbands are just longing for it from their wives today. Wives are longing for it from their husbands. And parents are longing for it from their kids. And kids say they're longing for it from their parents. And co-workers and every relationship that exists on this planet, everyone loves to be on the experiencing end of someone who's kind. And interesting, isn't it, that the lost, those who don't know Jesus Christ, they're looking to for that act of kindness, particularly among those who name the name that Paul was so wanting to persecute and challenge. Someone has said kindness has converted many more sinners than zeal, Eloquence or argument? The kindness. What about that awesome song? Maybe you've sung it before. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O God. Romans chapter 2. Aren't you absolutely grateful for the kindness of God that we've been recipients of today? And then it just kind of is weird, isn't it? That while you and I think about our lives have been the recipients of his kindness in all these different ways, and we know all too well, isn't it strange how sometimes we feel that we have the right or the authority to withhold kindness then from someone else. Isn't it strange how twisted we sometimes think? You know, I, I'm not really going to be kind in forgiving you in this situation just because, you know, I'm going to let you suffer for another few weeks, you know. going to give you the cold shoulder a little longer. Is that how God treats us? Who are we? Who are we to be the judge and jury to withhold kindness when someone genuinely is seeking it and wants it. I love the story with the Lord Jesus in, in Mark chapter 10, where in verse 13 to 16, Jesus is blessing the little children. I was just thinking of all the kind acts of the Lord Jesus. This is one of them, John, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And you have to understand this, that in the Jewish culture, culture children were to be seen but not heard. I don't know if you've ever been in an environment like that where you've brought your children over somewhere and people are kind of okay that they're there, but they don't really want them to have to speak or do anything that's going to cause problems. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. You know, And you kind of get a sense that, well, you know, I don't know if they're really cool with my kids here. And in some situations, you know, it's just almost like they're there. The kids are they're around, but they're just, you just, shh. That's all you really want to say to them. They want to hear them. And that was the culture in Israel. And so it's very profound that in verse 13, and it says, as they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples, of course, just thinking this is the way it's to be done, rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He, he wasn't just lukewarm about this. He said, well, what's the big deal, Jesus? Well, he, he thinks it's a big deal. And he said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as thee. These Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And then our imaginations just kind of wonder here, don't they? And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. And we well know the scripture says nothing about he baptized them. 
but he blessed them. And just a kind thing, if you were a parent there, and one of your kids, and you were like, shh, and all of a sudden Jesus has one of your kids on your lap, wouldn't that have been a kind act? And wouldn't that have made a huge impression about this God that's walking on the planet? It's been said, if someone were to pay you a dollar for every kind word you have spoken and collected 50 cents for every unkind word, would you be rich or poor? Very simple, because I'm simple, but I'm going to ask the question. Who can you express kindness to today? Who is it? You know, and it isn't difficult, is it, really? It's not like you have to have some kind of a major degree on this to figure this one out. My wife is sick this morning, so she was to go away on a weekend retreat that I was going to join in a few days, a week retreat. Hey, honey, is there anything I can get you? You know, can I, I'll pray with you. Let me see if you have a fever. I mean, today, thankfully, I don't know if it has anything to do with that I was speaking on this, but she probably gave me an A for kindness in the way I dealt with her. Other days, it's a C. Other days, I'm not even sure if I've passed, where there's not an act of kindness in my behavior. And it doesn't make sense in some respects because of all the people, that's who I love. And sometimes we're just not kind. And I think it's a good challenge. Look at the amount of verses in Scripture that address this issue of kindness. And it's something that God possesses from the first and foremost. And then not only is that our character, and that's, it's a huge subject, isn't it? And again, can't do this on your own. But secondly, and it's very closely related, but what about in telling our story, people are watching not only our character. They were watching Paul. They were like, hey, this dude, man, he was killing us. How is he going to behave now? Ananias is like, I don't want to go. I know what he's going to do. What's our conduct like? And really, I just said it. What our conduct is, is what we do. Stories told in the Dallas Morning News, and this is a true story. I almost found it hard to believe. I researched it. Best I can tell it's true because it was in the paper. Not that that means it's true. But I think it's true in this sense, that an elderly North Dallas couple, the Davenports, were sitting at home one quiet evening, and they were enjoying this meal. And as they were finishing up this meal, a burglar broke into their home. We call that a cat burglary in the profession. Actually, it's a home invasion because he pointed a gun at them, and he demanded money. And while Mrs. Davenport frantically searched through her purse for some money, the suspect noticed that they were watching the 700 Club, which is a religious television show. And the burglar said, are you all Christians? Yes, Mr. Davenport replied. And the burglar said, in all seriousness, me too. (laughs) That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? (laughs) If what we do conflicts with our behavior then what happens is, is we cloud our witness. And Jesus is the only, if you like, the only pure glass. When you look at a glass of water and you think that's the purity, that's Jesus. But what happens with us sometimes is we cloud it. And all of a sudden that water gets more and more murky. And all of a sudden you can't to the point even tell it's water anymore sometimes if it's that filthy. We cloud it. 
wear a pair of glasses, and I don't know how many times a day, maybe it's more by habit, but it's also a need. I look, and you all look just a little bit cloudy or messed up, and then I pull my glasses off, and you put it into the light, and you realize how many smudge marks there are and all this, and you get out the old thing, and you do that procedure. Somebody says, good idea for laser surgery, but we're not there yet. But you do that, and then it's like when it's all clean, and you see everything more clearly. Well, by the grace of God, we need to be conscious of the fact that we don't really want to do this, do we? We don't want to cloud our witness by our conduct. And the way we should act, it should confirm who we are in Christ. And this is a a challenging thing, and it also just takes me back to the Apostle Paul. And then I started thinking, now, I can't go too deep here and too long off into this tangent, but I think this is important to remember. The Apostle Paul said, talked about this issue so much, didn't he, in his letters about who we are in Christ. We need, brothers and sisters, a firm, and I don't mean not a shaky, but we need a firm grip on the truth of God's word about this truth. Because if we are trying to live all the practical aspects of what Christianity is all about, but we miss the, under, the wonderful doctrinal truths of who we are in Christ and how he, we are in him, and he has empowered us to live this life, we're going to miserably fail because we're going to be trying to behave like Christians without understanding really where the resource for that power and strength comes from. You understand what I'm saying? Christ is the overwhelming theme of the New Testament, isn't he? Take, for example, Ephesians. We were reading that when we were in Yosemite, all of us. There's over 40 references just in Ephesians of this wonderful truth that we're in Christ. And Christ is in us if we know him. Now, that is the truth that ought to just absolutely thrill us today. And if you notice, and if you've read any of Paul's writings, they tend to fall in two kind of major parts. The first is generally called the doctrinal section. For example, Romans chapters 1 through 8, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, Colossians verses chapters 1 and 2, and etc. And then what happens is, Those sections reveal what we need to know about God, ourselves, sin, and salvation. But the second half of those letters that Paul wrote then contains the practical sections. Romans 12 through 15, Ephesians 4 through 6, Colossians chapters 3 and 4. And these passages describe what we need to do to live our faith in daily experience. But we need to understand who we are in Christ. We need to understand this new identity. Or like I said, we're going to suffer immeasurably what's going to happen is we're going to struggle. We're going to strive in our own strength to live this kind of story before a watching world and we'll fail if we don't rely on the Lord Jesus. Colossians 4 and 5, or verse 5, Paul says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. In our everyday behavior, in our conduct, you got to remember, don't we, that we're being watched. We're really being watched. I was at a house yesterday for lunch, and this man had seven cameras in his home. Not only on the outside, but on the inside of the home. 
And I was outside looking, and all of a sudden I looked up, and I thought, oh, what is that thing there? And it was a little camera. He has fears of somebody's going to come in and break into his home, and so he just has that place lit up with cameras. Someone's doing a good business there, whoever that is. Remember the phrase, they'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And our walk should match our talk. Back to Yosemite, I remembered where that I failed and I, and, well, I should say, I passed the test and failed the test in about a period of about four hours on that one. We were in, and I, we weren't in housekeeping, we were in the uh, tents at Curry Village, which are even closer together. Really close. And one, after one long day, we did a hike that was 15 miles up to a place that somebody told me was going to be an easy hike, and it was up to a place called Clouds Rest from uh, Tenaya Lake. And I was dying a death on that one. <laughs> we ran out of water about two hours before the hike was over, and it was, thunder was overhead, and lightning was in the general area, and I had fears. I was looking at all these trees that were burned out from lightning strikes, and I thought... I was confessing sins on that trail back to the car. <laughs> and it was that evening we got into to bed. And lights are supposed to be out at 10. And about 11.15, all of a sudden, uh, and I have four girls, so don't think of me as too much of an ogre, but a little girl, probably about two or three, started crying. And she kept on crying. And she kept on. And after about 45 minutes, I then had a woman across the trail starting to snore really loud. <laughs> Her crying, somebody slamming the bear boxes to my right, and I just, I just, without even thinking, shouted out, this is a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> and I said, please. And then it was, I felt as though, as though the parents all of a sudden just grabbed that child and went like, uh, <laughs> the lady kept snoring, and, and this is the truth, at 10 a.m., the next morning at 10 a.m., she was still snoring. Matter of fact, one of the ladies coming to deliver sheets came up and she, she thought it was a bear inside. She, and I go, no, 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 she's been doing that for the last 12 hours. The man next to her complained at the desk and they went and what they did for him was they went to the Iwani and got him some earplugs. So that was how he was to deal with it. I got up that morning and I was probably a little too embarrassed, to be honest, to look over to the left. I never saw that family after that. And except I take that back. I saw him. I never saw the child. And I started to get worried about that. <laughs> but I kind of looked sideways. Good morning. And I was hoping that I was wanting to disguise my voice, actually, when I saw him. And after I did it, though, I thought, you know, that there might have been a better way to handle that. That probably wasn't a good example of conduct in that situation. But on the positive, there was a man across from us, and as we were doing our devotions that morning, somewhat with my back turned to the family to the left, he pulled me aside and said, that was pretty impressive what you guys are all doing. And he said, that's really good to be in the scriptures. And he started to ask a couple of questions, and it led for a few moments of being able to share with a man who didn't appear to know the Lord Jesus just by watching us all reading and talking uh, about the scriptures. But sometimes in our conduct, we have to be really careful, don't we? We just have to go, oh, man, that was stupid. Don't want to do that again. Reminds me of a story about this woman who buys a parrot, and she gets the bird. She wants to get the bird to talk because it isn't. So she buys a mirror, and she buys a ladder, and then she buys a bell. 
And um, she goes back to the store and she reports to the guy she bought the parrot from that it's just not talking. And she goes on to say in the course of the conversation that the bird actually died and the clerk expressed his sorrow over her loss and he asked her, well, did the bird ever say anything to you? And the woman said, you know, just prior to dying, he said, doesn't that store carry any food? (laughs) The obvious. The obvious. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Stories told about a preacher who was speaking tongue-in-cheek when he complained, My wife is absolutely unreasonable. She actually expects me to live everything I preach. Isn't it much easier to tell somebody what to do than to do it yourself? I wanted to jam a few folks the other day because we were to go do something yesterday. We were going to go shooting at a range and all meet afterwards for lunch. And it was just a wonderful afternoon and it was supposed to be about ten of us and only about six of us showed up for the lunch and out of the ten who were supposed to show up, zero showed up to the shooting part. And I wanted to before that happened, I was going to say to folks, you know, we really need to remember to keep our word when we say we're going to do something. And then, look, lo and behold, I didn't show up either. We need to practice what we preach. I'm helping coach a softball league at church right now. And this guy that I recruited on from my job to help play was telling me how good he was. And I kind of was telling him how good I was, too, trying to be humble in a way to say it. I said I only committed like two errors over the last year until last Monday night. Fly ball, I'm at first base. I got it, I got it, and I go like this, and it just goes right past me and drops right behind me. Isn't that a terrible feeling when all of a sudden you hear the ball behind you? I got it. This is you. He threw two errors past me. I said, we probably just better let our what we do speak louder than anything we say from now on because we're not there yet. Anybody can talk a good game, but actually performing well is much more difficult, isn't it? And then lastly, as we're out of time, what about our conversation? It's been kind of included in what I've been talking about, our character, our conduct. But when we talk about our conversation, it's in how we speak. And I just love the fact that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And what he spoke and how he spoke made a difference with people, didn't it? I love Proverbs 15:28, the godly think before speaking. Memorize that one, Proverbs 15:28. Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 6, just after what he had shared in 5, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And I love the verse in the Psalms that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We ought to be speaking. It's of the people of God who should be declaring the story, telling the story of what God's doing. It's us. You say, well, you know what? It happened so long ago that I became a Christian. It was I was 10, I was 12, I was 5, I was 6. Well, Fast forward and tell people what God's doing today. What he's doing right now in whatever your situation is. And you know what? If it's a heartache and if it's a struggle right now, if something's going on that's discouraging, you even sharing that and talking about how that God is showing his power to sustain you and bring you through this difficult time that you're in is a testimony in of itself. Don't be sometimes like some of us are. 
and we, we, we resist this where we, we just want to portray that everything is perfect all the time. Rosy. There's no cloudy days. It's all sunshine. Maybe God wants to humble you to say, you know what, in your weakness, I want you with wisdom to share it. Tell your story to the appropriate person because who knows where that's going to go for his glory. But sometimes we kind of act a little self-righteous. Like, you know what? Now that I'm a Christian, everything's perfect. It isn't. But we have a God who's with us. Closing. Hebrews chapter 2. The writer says, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. Then he asks this very striking question. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And when I thought about that verse, I thought about it this way. If you know Christ today, you possess a great salvation in the Lord Jesus. Not by your own doing, but by his and if for some reason today, when we think about this great salvation, truth is, well, something's wrong because it's not so great because I'm not really telling anybody about it. I, I talk about this and I talk about that and I talk about so many things, but to be honest with you, I'm really not telling the story like the Apostle Paul. It said there, remember, it said in Acts chapter 9, after he got saved, immediately he was proclaiming the message. May God just help us to remember what a treasure we possess in Christ. And this coming week, whatever way, whether it's for one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes, may God give us the opportunity as we look for it to share the story, to tell something about Jesus to somebody as we cross paths of what he's doing. Let's not be ashamed, but let's just wonderfully tell the story. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you have given us a story to tell when you gave us the Lord Jesus. I think of that hymn. This is our story. This is our song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Father, we want to thank you for how you saved Saul and turned him into Paul. And we thank you so much for how your spirit worked in this man and how he led him to share so much of the New Testament that we have with us today. I want to just pray that this, our lives this coming week will be those where we're just looking for opportunity. We're watchful. We're listening. We're in step with you as to an opportunity to have to be able to share you with others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.